If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you hold it up with me right now and repeat these words after me? This is God's Word. I believe what it says is true. It teaches me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3, and then hold your place there in Ezekiel 3 and turn over several chapters to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel chapter 3, then hold your place and turn over to Ezekiel 33. Do you believe that God speaks to us today? Do you believe that? Now, I know that you believe that God speaks to us through His Word, but do you believe that God speaks to us in other ways? Do you believe that God's Spirit speaks to our spirit, that God's spirit testifies with our spirit? Do you believe that God at times may speak to us through dreams, visions? Do you believe that God speaks to us through the circumstances that we face in life? In other words, do you believe that God speaks to us in ways other than just His Word? Now, I'm not here this morning to preach a message to you trying to convince you that God speaks to us in a variety of ways today. But I say that because I want to preface what happened to me on Wednesday. On Wednesday morning, I got up earlier than I normally do. I went into the den as I always do. I sat in the chair I always sit in. And most often when I sit there, I get my Bible and I start reading and I have my prayer time. But because it was a little bit earlier this Wednesday morning, I decided I was going to doze a little bit longer. And so I put my chair back, and I began to doze. But immediately when I fell into what was maybe a deep sleep or a light sleep, I don't know, I immediately began to visualize and think about a verse, Ezekiel 3.18. Now, I was asleep. I was half awake. I don't know what I was. I just know that I did not go to bed thinking about that verse. I had not studied that verse. I had not read that verse. I didn't get up thinking about that verse. But as I was in this state between sleep and awake, I began to have that verse in my mind. Now understand, I learned that verse years ago as a child. And so when I immediately began to think about that verse as I was in between this sleep and awake stage, I immediately fell under conviction because I knew what that verse said. And that verse spoke about a responsibility that I have as a follower of Jesus. But that verse also speaks about a responsibility that you have as a follower of Jesus. And so as I woke up, I moved from that sleep half awake to being awake, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God laid that verse on my heart not only to convict me, but because he wanted me to share that verse with you this morning. Now on Monday when I got up, I knew what I was going to preach on this Sunday. And it wasn't what I'm going to preach on now. God changed my mind. God changed my heart Wednesday morning. God doesn't do that very often. I try to pray and, and I try to seek God as I, am, as I am trying to figure out what God wants me to communicate with you from this stage each and every week. For instance, I believe with all my heart, God gave me in advance 
the series that we are going to begin this next Sunday morning leading into Christmas Eve night. I believe that God gave it to me. I believe that it is a series that God can use to teach you, to change you, and help change your neighbors and your friends. I believe that with all my heart. But on Wednesday morning, God changed my mind. God changed the direction that I was going to preach because the responsibility that he showed me is a responsibility that we all have. And it's the responsibility to warn people that there is a judgment that is coming and only Jesus can save. And the truth of the matter is, is the overwhelming majority of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus don't take that responsibility seriously. Statistics reveal that only 90 to 95 percent of Christians or 90 to 95 percent of Christians never share their faith with another person. So only 5 to 10 percent of Christians ever share their faith with another person. Did you hear that? 90 to 95 percent of all people who call themselves Christians never share their faith with another person who is not a Christian. And I would dare say that 99% of Christians don't share the gospel on a regular basis. In other words, they don't share it daily or they don't share it weekly. Now I'm going to have a confession time with you right now. I'm going to be transparent with you this morning. There are at times weeks that go by that I don't share the gospel. Then I share up here, and I will share in here with someone in my office. But when it comes to out there, at the gym, at the restaurant, in the marketplace, with my neighbors, there are times that I can go a week or I can go weeks without sharing the gospel. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying. I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not like people come to me and say, Rocky, Tell me about Jesus, and I say, no, I'm not going to tell you. That, that doesn't happen. It's not even like people come to me and they have questions. Hey, I've got a spiritual question. Do you have time to talk to me about this? It's not like that happens, and I say, well, I'm sorry. I don't have time right now. What I'm saying is I don't intentionally create opportunities out there in the world to share Jesus like I should. There are days that go by, there are weeks that go by that God gives me opportunities because he says he does. And yet I don't take advantage of those opportunities to share Jesus. And yet the Bible is very clear. I've been commanded and you've been commanded to do just that. But the truth of the matter is, even if we weren't commanded, we should want to share the gospel. I mean, shouldn't we want to share the forgiveness that we've experienced? Shouldn't we want to share the hope that we have in Jesus? Shouldn't we want to share that there is eternal life for any and everyone who trusts in Jesus? I mean, if we really believe what the Bible teaches, if we really believe that there is eternal life for those who turn from their sins and trust Jesus, and there is eternal death for those who don't, then shouldn't we want to share? So why don't we? I mean, why is it that 90 to 95% of us who claim to be followers of Christ never share our faith? Why is it that probably way more than 99% of us 
Don't do it on a regular basis. Oh, I believe there are only several reasons that, that we can give an answer for not sharing. The first one is fear. We're afraid of what someone's going to say. We're afraid of what someone's going to do. We're afraid of what someone's going to think. And so we don't share. I think the second reason that we don't share is because we feel inadequate. We don't feel like we know how to share. We don't feel like we know what to share. And so we want to share, but we don't feel like we know how to share, what to share, so we don't share. The third reason is, is, is a little worse. I think we may not share because we really don't believe. We really don't believe that, that people that don't accept Jesus are going to go to hell. We really don't believe that. We really don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We really don't believe that. And then the fourth reason is we just don't care. I mean, as long as we're saved, as long as we're going to heaven, we don't care what happens to other people. Now, I believe that reasons one and two are reasons that we all struggle with. I think all of us at times struggle with the fear of sharing our faith. I think that all of us at one time or another struggle with feeling inadequate as we share our faith. But listen, if you're here this morning and you don't share because you really don't believe that Jesus is the only way or you really don't believe that, that people without Jesus are going to hell or you don't care, then I would say to you this morning that your experience with Jesus is suspect. You see, it's normal, it's natural for you and I to struggle with fears. It's normal and natural for us to struggle with inadequacies. inadequacies. But if we don't share because we don't care, or we don't share because we don't believe, then that is a serious problem. Now let me get back to my dream for just a moment. The dream that I had, or this half-sleep, half-awake vision that I had from God where I, I saw visually this verse in my mind it was a verse that I learned years ago and I've got to tell you when I learned that verse it changed my life it really did and so I want to read it to you if your Bibles are open it's Ezekiel 3 verse 18 I want to read verse 19 with it God's speaking here and this is what God says God says if I warned the wicked saying you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning. They will die in their sins. And I will hold you responsible for their death. If you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins. But you will have saved yourself because you obeyed me. Now, did you get what God says? God says, if I warn the wicked that you are under the penalty of death. And God has done that, hasn't he? I mean, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So God says, if I warn the wicked that you are under the penalty of death and you don't deliver the warning, God says that you are responsible for their deaths. I don't know about you, but that verse not only convicts me, frightens me 
Because I realize that every single person that I can share with that I don't, if they die and go to hell, God is going to, according to his word, hold me responsible for their deaths. Now this was such an important message that God gave this message to Ezekiel twice. In Ezekiel 33, God says it this way in verses 7 and following. He says, Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them, to repent and they don't repent they will still die in their sins but you will have saved yourself now here's the bottom line we are responsible for the eternal deaths of those we don't share with let me say that again Christian let it sink in we are responsible for the eternal deaths of those that we don't share with. I am responsible. You are responsible. One day, someday, you will stand before God and answer to Him as to whether you have been obedient with this command. One day, God will hold you responsible for those you haven't warned. One day, you will see all your family members, all your friends, all your co-workers, all your classmates, all the strangers on the street that you have had the opportunity to warn and yet you didn't. You're going to see them and you're going to be responsible. And oh, it's going to be a sad, horrible, terrible day. And so in light of that, what do we need to do? Well, the passage that surrounds this verse, Ezekiel 3, gives us four imperatives. It gives us four commands that you and I need to heed, you and I need to hear, and you and I need to obey if we do not want to be responsible for the eternal deaths of hundreds and thousands of people. So what is it that God tells us to do? Well, first of all, God says that we must consume the Word. Years ago, my dad gave me this Bible. It was a Bible that he and my mom read um, together when they first got married, and they put it on the headboard of their bed. And when my dad gave me this Bible, he, he had written something in the front of it, and this is what he wrote. He said, Rocky... I wanted you to have this Bible. When you were very little, we kept it in the headboard of the bed to read at night. We left you on the bed alone and found you literally eating the Word. <laughs> you will find where I taped them back in Micah and Jonah. May you always digest well God's Word as you take it in. Now and here's what it says in Ezekiel chapter 1. Or chapter 3, verse 1. The voice said to me, Son of man, eat what I am giving you. 
eat this scroll, then go and give its message to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Fill your stomach with this, he said. And when I ate it, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And then a little later in verse 10, it says this. Then he added, son of man, let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Now in Ezekiel's day, they didn't have books like we have today. They had scrolls. And they would write the message on the scroll. And then they would roll up the scroll. It would be like closing the book. And so the Bible says that, that God gave Ezekiel this message on a scroll. And he said, I want you to eat this message until you are full. The word that he uses here literally means until you are about to bust. And so Ezekiel ate the scroll. And Ezekiel said, it was as sweet as honey to me. Then God told Ezekiel, before you can give this message to anyone else, you need to let this message penetrate your heart. In other words, God was saying, Ezekiel, you can't deliver this message to anyone else until you have received the message for yourself. Now let me ask you a question. How much time... Are you spending, eating, devouring, taking in God's Word? Because I want you to know that you will never, ever share the gospel with passion until this Word gets into you. And when this Word really gets into you, it is going to burn a hole in you like it did to Jeremiah, where Jeremiah said, your Word is like a fire in me, and I have to let it out. Now let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you need to get into a Bible study. Now understand, Bible studies are good. And ladies, for you that are in a Beth Moore Bible study or Priscilla Shire Bible study, good for you. But I'm afraid that many of us spend much more time reading a Bible study than we do reading the Bible that we're supposed to be studying. And so what we're doing is we're hearing what other people have to say about the Bible rather than reading the Bible for ourselves and letting God speak to us. And here's what I know. When we become a Christian, God's spirit comes to live in us, and the Bible says that God's Spirit is our teacher. And as we begin to open up God's Word and reading, asking God to guide us and direct us and teach us, God will teach us. And so there's nothing wrong with your Bible studies. Go ahead and do them. But let me tell you, if you're spending 30 minutes a day or 40 minutes a day reading the Bible study material and you're spending 5 minutes a day actually reading the Bible, you've got it backwards. You need to devour this book. And I'm not talking about devotional reading. Last week, we gave all of you a, a copy of this devotional book if you didn't get it. Let me encourage you to stop by the welcome desk and get it. It's a 25-day devotional leading up to Christmas Day. And some of you do a devotional reading every day. You may use this. You may use open windows. You may use something that you have on your phone. 
but you do a devotional reading every day. Let me tell you, a devotional reading is simply there to whet your appetite. A devotional reading is an appetizer. Now, when I go to a restaurant, I don't go to a restaurant to eat appetizers. I go to a restaurant to eat the main course. And I get the appetizer to make me hungry for the main course. Right? Amen? Amen? <laughs> but some of you, some of you are thinking that doing your little devotional reading is the main course. And yet, the devotional reading is simply to whet your appetite so that you will get into the Word of God. If, if we believe that this Bible right here is a timeless Word, if we believe that this Word right here reveals eternal truth, then we need to know this book. We need to read this book. We need to study this book. We need to digest this book. And when we do, listen. When you get into this book, you will discover that its words are sweet like honey. And here's what I know. Honey is kind of like a dessert. It's hard to just get one piece of dessert, isn't it? Thanksgiving, my wife and my daughter and my son-in-law, he had a hand in it. They made this pecan cheesecake. Oh, it was sinful. And my son-in-law messed up. It called, for, it called for three things of cream cheese, right? Three things of cream cheese. He put four things of cream cheese in it. So it was extra creamy. And so you have these this pecan syrupy stuff on the bottom. And then you have this cheesecake. And then you have this pecan syrupy stuff on top. And then you cut it. Start eating. You're man, this is good. It's sweet. I think I'm going to get another piece. And the devil, my wife, <laughs> says, you don't need another piece. One piece is enough. But the Holy Spirit says to you, you can't eat just one piece. It's sweet like honey. You got to take it in. And that's what the Word of God is. When you begin to get into the Word of God for yourself, you begin to consume it. It's sweet like honey. And you want more and more and more of it. So hear me. If you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm a student of the Word, and yet you're being a student of the Word hasn't caused you to have a desire to go out and share your faith in the world, then I don't know what word you're a student of, but it's not this word. Because you cannot read more than a couple of pages of this word without being convicted to share this word out there in the world. Amen? So we've got to consume the word. But next, we've got to take God's message. Don't miss what it says in verse 1 again. It says, eat the scroll, then go and give the message. God doesn't give us his message in His Word just for us. God gives us His Word, His message, so that we can share that message with others. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 4. And then He says, Son of man, go to the people of Israel and give them my messages. I am not sending you to a foreign people whose language you cannot understand. No, I'm not sending you to people with strange and difficult speech. If I did, they would listen. 
but the people of Israel won't listen to you any more than they listen to me. For the whole lot of them are hard-hearted and stubborn. But look, I've made you as obstinate and hard-hearted as they are. I've made your forehead as hard as the hardest rock. So don't be afraid of them or fear their angry looks, even though they are rebels. Then listen to what it says in verse 11. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, do this whether they listen to you or not. Here's what God says. He says, go to the people, give my message, say to them. Those three um, phrases tell us several things very clearly. First, we are to go. We can't have the attitude that if someone wants to hear, they can come here. It's our responsibility to take the message to them. Do you hear that? It's our responsibility to go. Jesus' very last command was go into the world and make disciples. Some of us think that the most important command for us as Christ followers is to come. And so we come here on Sunday morning and we sit in a chair and we feel like we've done everything that God wants us to do. And I would dare say to you this morning that it's a whole lot more important for you and I to go than it is for us to come. You and I have to go into the world and share the message. If we don't, we're being disobedient. So he said, go. Next he said, we're to give God's message. And God's message is very clear. From Genesis to Revelation, his message is comprised of three parts. We've sinned, we've rebelled against God, and we deserve God's wrath. That's what the Bible teaches. You've sinned, I've sinned, we've rebelled against God, and we deserve God's wrath. The second part is this, but God. God loves us in spite of our sin, and He has provided a way through which we can be forgiven, and that way is His Son, Jesus. And then there's a third part of the message. Jesus won't do us any good unless we receive Him. The Bible says in John 1:12, but as many as receive Him, to those He gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on His name. So we've got a message to share. The message is simple. We've sinned. We've rebelled against Almighty God and we're under His wrath. But God loves us in spite of our sin. And He's provided a way that we can be forgiven and we can be restored to a relationship with Him. And that way is through Jesus. But we have to receive Him. And we receive Him through turning from our sin and trusting Jesus alone to save us and giving our life to Him. That's the message. So we go with the message. And then notice finally... The message must be spoken. God said to Ezekiel, say to them. Some of us have this idea that if we live a good Christian life, that's enough. I'm just going to live a good life and people are going to see my light shining and they're going to know that Jesus loves them and Jesus died for them. Bull. How dare you be so arrogant? How dare you be so self-righteous, so obnoxious to think that you have lived such a righteous life that just by your life, people are going to be drawn to Jesus. 
No Christian who has ever read the Word of God has thought that. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, spoke the message. And if Jesus spoke the message, then how much more do you and I need to speak the message? So God told Ezekiel, you've got to go and share my message. You've got to speak it. And then he said one other thing. He said, I want you to know, the people I'm sending you to, they're not going to listen. They're hard-hearted. They're stubborn. They're rebellious. They're not going to listen, but you're to go anyway. You see, some of us have this idea that, you know, if I'm going to share with somebody, I've got to see this aura around them first. And that aura lets me know they're ready. But God told Ezekiel, you're to share with people that aren't going to listen to you. You see, our responsibility isn't to find the people who are ready and to share with them. Our responsibility is to share with everyone. Everyone. So God says you've got to consume the word. You've got to share the message. Then third, God says you've got to rely on my spirit. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 12. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a loud rumbling sound behind me. May the glory of the Lord be praised in this place. Let me stop there for a second. Now, let me tell you, did you notice there that it was in parentheses there, that phrase? May the glory of the Lord be praised in this place. So here's, here's Ezekiel. He's getting this message from God, and all of a sudden, Ezekiel has this holy spell. I mean, there's just no other way to describe it. He just has a holy spell. I mean, he is so caught up in the presence of God that he just starts praising God. He can't help himself. God's delivering this message, and Ezekiel says, Time out, God. May the glory of God be praised in this place. Let me tell you, there's nothing like being so caught up in the presence of God like Ezekiel was. That wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you have to just stop and say, Oh, God, you're worthy to be praised. And then he explains what happens. He says, it was the sound of the wings of the living beings as they brushed against each other and the rumbling of their wheels beneath them. Ezekiel is, is, is seeing things that seem foreign to us. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away. I, I went in bitterness and turmoil. In other words, I didn't want to go. But the Lord's hold on me was strong. Then I came to the colony of the Judean exiles and Tel Abib, beside the Kebar River, I was overwhelmed and I sat among them for seven days. Twice, twice in this passage we are told that the Spirit lifted Ezekiel up. I want you to listen. It's not your eloquence, it's not your passion that changes a person's heart and causes them to repent and receive Jesus. It's the Spirit of God. Jesus said when the Spirit comes, He will convict of sin and righteousness, and the judgment to come. You're not the one that convicts. It's not your eloquence. It's not your passionate appeal. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin and righteousness. I, 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 I've shared before and shared the gospel. And when I got through, I mean, I just felt like, man, this was incredible. If the devil was listening, he's going to get saved. I mean, it was that good. I mean, I just felt like, man, I, I, I knocked it out of the park. I did incredible. Nothing happened. 
And I've shared the gospel at other times. And I mean, I stuttered and I stammered and, and I messed up and I got lost. And I mean, I felt like I absolutely blew it. And I, I didn't even feel like, you know, asking someone if they wanted to be saved. I was thinking, you know, nobody would want to be saved. The angels wouldn't want to be saved if they heard this. And, and I would share the invitation. I'd say, is there any reason why you don't want to receive Jesus and get saved? And, and immediately a person would break into tears, just overwhelmed by their guilt and their shame and say, I want Jesus. You, you see, it, it's not our eloquence. It's not how we share. It's the Spirit of God working in us that convicts people of their sin, that draws them to Christ and saves them. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said this before he ascended into heaven. He said, you'll receive power when my spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Did you hear that? When my spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes upon you, the evidence is you're going to be a witness. The evidence is not that you're going to lift up your hands as we do corporate worship. The evidence is not you're going to start shouting amen or hallelujah. The evidence is not you're going to speak in some strange unknown tongue. Jesus said the evidence that God's Spirit is over you is you are going to witness about Him. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When we are filled with God's Spirit, filled with God's Spirit, and, and we're not always filled with God's Spirit, but when we're filled with God's Spirit, we will be compelled to tell other people about Jesus. God's Spirit lifted Ezekiel up and led him forth. We must realize the urgency of the moment. In verses 16 and 17 it says this, After seven days the Lord gave me a message. He said, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn people immediately. Did you hear that? Immediately. This is something that we do immediately. It's not something we wait for. When Paul became a follower of Jesus, immediately he began to share his faith. When we leave this place, we need to go out and immediately find people to share with. When I say to the wicked, you're going to die, and you don't seek to warn that wicked person to turn from their wicked ways. That wicked person will die in their sins. But I will hold you responsible. That may not scare you. It scares me. It makes me wonder. Over my lifetime as a believer, how many people are going to be in hell because I missed an opportunity? It makes me wonder. When I step out of these doors this afternoon and I walk out into the world, and then I come back next week, how many missed opportunities am I going to have simply because I was too busy or I was afraid or whatever else? 
This is our number one responsibility. So how can we begin? Let me give you three things and we're going to close. First of all, invite. You can invite people to church. You can do that, can't you? Can't, every, can't everyone do that? I mean, that's why, that's why we provide invite cards every week to make it easy for you. You can just take that invite card and say, hey, I'd like for you to come to our service next week. Statistics reveal that the overwhelming majority of unchurched people would come to church if invited by a friend, but less than 2% of Christians invite anyone during a given year. 2%. Th think what would happen. Look at me. Think what would happen. If we just became like Philip in John chapter 1. Remember Philip when he said to Nathaniel, come and see? Think what would happen if we just did that. We just took invite cards with us and took them to our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, our waitress, our waiter. And said, hey, I'd love to invite you to our service next week. Just come and see what's going on. Maybe just maybe God would change everything. Invite. Second, share your story. Every Christian has a story. A story of my life before Christ, how I came to Christ, the difference Christ is making in my life. Every Christian has a story, and every story is unique because you are unique. Your story may be similar to someone else's, but your story is not someone else's story because you're not someone else. And no one can argue with your story. Your story tells what your life was like before you came to Christ. What were the circumstances surrounding how you gave your life to Christ? And, and how is Jesus making a difference? Share your story. And then learn the gospel. The ABCs is a good place to start because I believe it's the simplest way to share. You can learn how to share right now. You can start off like this. Do you mind if I share with you what the Bible says about how you can go to heaven? Do you mind if I share with you what the Bible says about how you can go to heaven? It's as simple as ABC. You've got to admit you've got a problem you can't solve. That problem's sin. We've all sinned. You can unpack that as much as you want to. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth to pay for our sins. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to set an example. He came to die for our sins. And then we've got to commit our life to him. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is our Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Confessing Jesus as Lord is committing your life to him. Would you like to do that? You see, you don't have to go to seminary to learn how to share the gospel. You don't need to go through a witnessing class. You just need to write down A, B, C. Start doing it. Say, but I can't do it as good as you. No, you can do it better than me with some people. And I can do it better than you with some people. Because God's put people in your life that he has uniquely created you to reach. God's put people in my life that, that I can reach. And together, we can reach a whole lot. Amen? I mean, think about it. 120 scared believers hovered in an upper room. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. 
And within several years, the several years, the Roman Empire was saturated with the news of Jesus. Several years. 120. We've got more than that right here, right now. You say you're scared? They were too. But when they were filled with His Spirit, changed everything. I don't know how much time I have left. God could take me home this afternoon. But the way I look at it, just going to be transparent for a minute, the way I look at it, I'm hoping, I'm hoping for 13 more good years as your pastor. Now, if God gives me more, I'm happy. God gives me less, I'm not so happy. But, but I'm saying, give me 13 good years. What could we do in 13 years? What did those early believers do? Inviting people, sharing our story, sharing the gospel. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment today. Not to me, I'm asking you to make a commitment to God. And I'm asking you to make it public. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and, and I'm going to ask you to come to this altar, kneel down at this altar, and tell God what you're making a commitment to do. And I'm asking you to make a commitment to begin to invite, to learn to share your story, and to share the gospel. And let's be used by God. I'm asking you to make that commitment. I'm asking you to make it public so that other people in here will see you're serious about this. This is important to you. But I would be amiss if I didn't give another invitation. Because there may be someone here today who has never given their heart and life to Jesus. And I want you to know, listen, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus, you are under the wrath of God. And if you die, you're going to spend eternity in hell separated from God. You say, how can a loving God do that? I'll tell you how. He sent his son Jesus to die a cruel death so that you don't have to. So if you're here and you've never given your life to the one who bled and died for you, then I want to encourage you today to trust in Jesus. Give your life to him. Let him change you. Let his spirit make you brand new because he will. And I'm not going to ask you to pray a prayer right now. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you as our church family comes forward and, and they kneel down at the altar praying, I'm going to ask you to come forward and take myself or one of our pastors by the hand and say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus today. What's the next step? Let us tell you. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. And the altar is going to be open. So let me pray. Lord God, I come to you this morning thanking you for waking me up Wednesday morning, convicting me of my unbelief. Forgive me. Father, I pray I'll take advantage of the opportunities you give me. I'll not make excuses. I'll just simply be obedient. Lord God, make us a church that is faithful and obedient so that you can use us to change our world. 
Father, I pray that if anyone here has not given their life to you today, they will be miraculously and joyously saved. And I pray this in Jesus' name.